Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome back to another FizzCast, ladies and gentlemen. Alongside Ian Unsworth, my name's John Needs. Be sure to check us out at orangefizz.net. And give us a follow on Twitter, at OrangeFizz. We are back with another weekly preview here. And, oh, quick turnaround for Syracuse coming off a win over Notre Dame. The Orange have what could be the biggest game of the year. And I know each each game we say from here on out is going to be the biggest game of the year. But this is always the biggest game of the year. Syracuse going on the road to play Duke, followed by a Saturday matchup with Georgia Tech as well. But, Ian, before we discuss the Blue Devils here, and, like I said, could be the biggest game, the, the – determining game of this 2020-2021 season. Let's talk about that ND game. I mean, what a comeback by the Orange. A Buddy Bayheim career high? Who could have expected that? I mean, sheesh, this dude was coming around screens, jacking threes with no regard. The, the heat checks we saw were ridiculous. And uh, cr- crazily enough, those shots were going in. Where was that? Where has this Buddy Bayheim been all season? I really want to know who let the real Buddy Bayheim out of the closet last Saturday because, boy, we could sure use more of that as Syracuse fans. And Syracuse should sure could sure use more of it because when Joe Girard, Alan Griffin, Quincy Garrier struggled to score, an- another down game from Garrier on the scoring side, but his rebounding was huge down the stretch. But when those guys were struggling to score, Buddy Bayheim hasn't picked it up this year, and finally on Saturday, he picked up the slack. Yeah, you heard our beautiful voices on the Fizz airwaves on the Score 1260 on Saturday, and one of the Fizz feedback questions was, who would lead Syracuse in scoring? And I said Alan Griffin, and I was pretty confident in that prediction. Oh, I was. I said Alan Griffin, too. I was extremely confident in that. I, I, I think you and I and Fizz Nation, Syracuse Nation, was pleasantly surprised that Buddy Bayheim was the leading scorer and ultimately the reason why Syracuse is able to come back and win that game over Notre Dame. And hopefully they can keep things rolling here. The Orange have now won four of their last five and are knocking on the door of the NCAA tournament. We saw them on, I think, the next four out yeah, on Lenardi's latest. So, And guess who else is on that list? Duke. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Duke's really been playing well as of late. And, John, Jim Beheim got himself embroiled in a little controversy the other day. Jalen Johnson opted out of the season early last week, and then Bayheim went on his radio show and said, oh, it might be better for Duke not to have Jalen Johnson. I mean, you, you don't like to see people saying stuff like that because you don't want to disrespect the player. And then it led to all this discussion from the talking heads on ESPN that Bayheim was suggesting that Jalen Johnson has a... Jay Jay Billis, yes, Jay Billis, that Jalen Johnson has a camp, he's got people whispering in his ear, yada, 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 whatever. I mean, I wrote an article about this. Bayheim might be right, because Duke has won three in a row, they just beat number seven Virginia in, in probably one of the closest basketball games I've seen all year. Like, that game was neck and neck all the way down to the finish. Johnson's replacement, Jamin Brakefield, hit a game winning layup. Yeah. He, like, Duke has been cooking the last couple games, and whether it's because Johnson's out of the lineup or just because all the other parts are starting to slide into place, it's working for the Blue Devils. Whatever it is, it's working. Unfortunately, not at a good time for Syracuse here. Like you said, coming off a huge win over Virginia, and if you remember, Syracuse just had the—they were ran off the floor by the Hoos 
back in, uh, what was that, January? Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. But uh, coming into this game, the odds makers certainly like the Blue Devils. I mean, how can you blame them coming off a big win there? FPI likes Duke to win. 60.5% chance to their 5.5 point favorites. And, of course, the game's going to be played at Cameron Indoor. Tough place to play. Obviously, no fans. But you know, still, still got to go on the road. And Syracuse hasn't really been good on the road this year. Yeah, Ken Palm says Syracuse is going to fall 78-74 to the Blue Devils. Uh, gives Duke a 66% chance of winning. There's another angle to look at it from. I mean, I think either way, if people are, I, I would, it makes a lot of sense that Vegas is rocking with Duke. However, I could see Syracuse totally covering and keeping this game close. But in terms of areas where Duke excels, it's, it's tough to really pick out one. Because sometimes you get great play from these freshmen. Guys like um, Brakefield that we mentioned earlier, Roach. Um, just these guys that can come out and score the ball effortlessly. DJ Stewart, another guy. Um, like These guys can come out and score effortlessly at times or just completely miss. And they're high up in the offensive efficiency rankings. 15th in, in the nation at 116.5 points per 100 possessions, but sometimes it's just like, what are these dudes doing with the ball? Yeah, and of course there's a learning curve, especially for freshmen, because well, you don't play a zone defense very often, and it can throw you for a loop. So DJ Stewart, that's going to be something for him to look at. It, it certainly helps when you have a behemoth down low who can just kind of play old-school ball, get rebounds and put up layups, get to the foul line like Vernon Carey did last year. He carried Duke to that 97-88 win, 26-17, and but Ian, he's gone. He's gone, but... Matthew Hurt is back. Matthew Hurt didn't do much against Syracuse last year, but this year he's really turned into a do-it-all player for the Blue Devils, and they're going to use him a lot like Nate Lashevsky played with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. He'll be on the perimeter a ton, probably on the wings just like Lashevsky, maybe at the elbow too. We'll see what Coach K does, but he's a guy that's leading the, leading the Blue Devils in scoring at almost 19 points a game, right? And he can shoot from anywhere on the floor almost 47 percent from three like this guy is dangerous if you let him get hot he's not a big body he's not gonna bang inside so Syracuse shouldn't really have to worry about that because honestly other than Johnson Duke doesn't have a really reliable big man like Henry Coleman is their biggest dude he's seven feet and Mark Williams also seven feet but those guys barely play it's not going to be the Vernon Carey scenario from last year it, this is going to be two teams playing small, going outside in instead of inside out. And in that sense, I guess schematically, that's advantage Syracuse because they've gone up against a couple of teams like that. Notre Dame was one of them. Now, the Fighting Irish looked very good in the first half and got theirs, but in the second, I don't know what adjustments the Orange made. Notre Dame missed some huge threes down the stretch, but well, the Orange won. So I guess we'll see how Bayheim and company attack it from that angle. But you mentioned Hurt. Uh, second in the ACC, 18.5 points per game. This is Coach Beheim and the zone defense's worst nightmare in a player. A big man like this that can stretch the floor, uh, lethal. Yeah, not something Syracuse wants to... If Syracuse lets Matthew Hurt get outside shots, real big issue, especially because they just game-planned for a similar type of player on Saturday. The thing is, Duke shoots pretty decently from behind the arc. 37% as a team, that's fifth in the ACC, and they also take a lot of threes. Like 24 a game is a decent amount of threes for a team. 
that doesn't really have great three-point shooters all the time. Stewart's like 36%. Wendell Moore's at 29%. I'm just going to put this out there. I do not like Wendell Moore as a player. He's super raw. He's all over the place. He he does he just does things on the floor where he looks he looks like he's trying to do too much. And I think if Syracuse can get the ball in Wendell Moore's hands, that is an advantage for the Orange. It might sound weird because it, it's the zone defense, right? There's it, there's not right there's not a guy where you'd say oh force it to him and make him make plays. But Wendell Moore is that guy for Duke because he gets sped up and he goes absolutely bonkers. And how about for the Orange offensively? You mentioned Duke doesn't really have a lot of big guys, a lot of size down low, and we said the same thing about Notre Dame, yet Garrier still struggled to get anything going. Just nine points for him. He did have 14 rebounds. How about Mark Williams for Duke? He's a center. He's got 22 blocks this year. Can he put up any kind of a test against Garrier? Well, Williams is pretty big, but he's not exactly the quickest guy. These Duke guys are not the fleetest of foot. I think Garrier is going to have the best success if he can draw Williams out to the mellow spot. I've talked about the mellow spot before. For anybody who doesn't know, it's probably 15 to 17 feet away from the basket, and it's on like the wing to corner area. So if Garrier can get the ball down there and face up a little bit, I know we haven't seen it much from him this year, but if he can face up against Mark Williams or maybe Breakfield, because I think he's, he's stronger than Breakfield. He's, he's quicker than Mark Williams, but he's stronger than Brakefield. He can take either of these guys to the bucket. That's going to be the key. Can the speed of Garrier get around Mark Williams? And I don't think those post-up hook shots are going to work against a seven-footer. We saw a couple different things in against Notre Dame. It didn't, didn't work, but hey. I, I think the speed of Garrier and then the size against Brakefield. Okay. That's going to be the key for Quincy, utilizing those different facets of his game against the different matchups that Duke will throw at him. Duke will also throw some zone at you too, but I honestly, I'm, I'm honestly not worried about that if I'm Syracuse because if one of your shooters is going, it should not be a problem. Okay. And Williams, 22 blocks this year, is eighth in the ACC. I will add as well. But, Ian, let's get into predictions. So, battle the two winningest coaches, Coach Bayheim, Coach K, of course. Uh, like I said before, Duke a five and a half point favorite over under set at one fifty one and a half. So what do you think about those two things? And then how do you see this game playing out? Well, it's tough because Syracuse has been pretty high scoring all year, but Duke has been, you know, like alpha and omega Jekyll and Hyde. Like I said earlier, sometimes the freshmen are really cooking and sometimes they can't buy a bucket. They scored 89 points in a loss to Notre Dame, and then they're putting up 65 against Virginia, 66, excuse me. I mean, Virginia's obviously a different story, but there are times when Duke, just like every other ACC team, you know, can't put water in the ocean. Like, that's how bad their offense is. But honestly, I think the Ken Palm prediction is pretty on the dot. Ken Palm says 78-74. I'm going to bump it down just a little bit. I'd be wary very wary of that over. I think it's high. I'm going to go, I hate to say it, John, but I'm going to go Duke 72-71. Okay. Wow. Uh, down to the wire on a Monday night. Huh? I think I think it's going to be down to the wire. Okay. Huh. I think it'll be that. I think it'll be under five and a half as well. So I'll take Syracuse for the, the points, that is. But, yeah, as much as I want to pick Syracuse here, and, you know, they seem to have the momentum right now, that comfort behind victory was great and all. But if you dig yourself into a hole like that against Duke, good luck coming back out of it. And, yeah, Duke's coming off that big win over Virginia. I, I liked what I saw from Breakmeyer and the guys off the bench. I think they found a new identity 
So I'm going to take Duke. I'm going to take them by three. Let's go 78-75. So a bit more high scoring, but still is not covering the, excuse me, the total. All right, let's move on to Georgia Tech's Saturday noon tip in McCamish Pavilion. Georgia Tech's had a pretty rough season, I guess, by their standards, because they returned most of their production. Their top three scorers from last year are back. Josh Pastner's really been cooking with this group for a little while now, and they're only 11-8. They're ninth in the ACC. It hasn't been a great season for the Yellow Jackets by any standards, but they're still dangerous. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a winnable game for Syracuse, like the Duke game on the road. I'd say what it's been a tough season, obviously eleven and eight, ninth in the ACC. But I'd say the Yellow Jackets have been pretty consistent. They they have had to play a gauntlet out of a COVID pause a while ago. They played Clemson when Clemson was ranked, and they beat them by twenty uh, eighteen, excuse me, and then a close loss to UVA. But there there isn't really a game in here aside from this Louisville game where they lost by like sixteen points, where they just got blown out of the water. They're they're a competitive team. They just come up short on the scoreboard, and they've had to run a gauntlet here in the back half of the schedule. They are coming off a twenty seven point win though on the road at Miami. They played like a triple overtime game the first game of the season against Georgia State and lost one twenty three to one twenty. I was like, what in the world is happening? Yeah, then they lost to Mercer, and this isn't like Duke-Mercer in the tournament. Mercer's not even close to being solid this year. Then they beat Kentucky back before everybody knew that Kentucky wasn't, like, was not good at all. So it's really been a weird year for Georgia Tech. They've also beaten UNC, as John said. They beat Clemson. They beat Florida State. I mean, what what is happening in the ACC? It's literally a roll of the dice on a nightly basis. I mean... Georgia Tech, in terms of, I guess, a padlock stat for them, you can't really pick one out. But I will say one thing that Georgia Tech is really good at, their guards are super experienced, is forcing turnovers. Here's your padlock stat. Georgia Tech leads the ACC in turnover percentage at 22.3. That means they're forcing turnovers on 23% of possessions and also steal rate at almost 14%. So they're stealing the ball on almost 14% of possessions. And that all comes with the hyperactivity of their two starting guards, Jose Alvarado and Michael DeVoe. These dudes are all over the court, especially Alvarado. He's like the peskiest player I've ever seen averaging almost three steals a game think of like think of if you're if you don't know who Jose Alvarado is let's see let me make this comparison here how about that Rutgers point guard Jacob Young Jacob Young maybe offensively but defensively think of like hmm if you've ever seen Matisse Thibel play for the Philadelphia 76ers. This is a way out there comparison because I'm, I'm a 76ers fan. But if you've ever seen Matisse Thibel, the level of activity he plays with off the ball, he's always his head's always on a swivel. He's always looking around to make some sort of impact play on the defensive end. That's what you're getting from Jose Alvarado. It's nonstop energy. He's always around the ball. And that translates to the offense as well. This dude is top 10 in a ton of categories here in the ACC. Fourth in scoring, 16.74 points per game. He's fifth in field goal percentage at about 53%. And then assists as well, he's sixth. So just an all-around spectacular player. And he headlines this Georgia Tech team. But Georgia Tech isn't super deep. That's the only thing about the Yellow Jackets. They go like five, six, maybe in the rotation. Yeah. Only only seven guys playing double-digit minutes. So 
if Syracuse can get one of these guys into foul trouble, maybe that's an opening. Moses Wright is probably a name you've heard a lot if you've been around ACC basketball for the past couple of years, and he's back for the Yellow Jackets. Think of your quintessential junkyard dog. This dude lives in the paint. Absolutely lives in the paint. Averages 16.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, and he gets his money down low. He attempts 13 field goals a game. Only one and a half of those are threes. This this guy is hookshot, hookshot, lay-in, offensive rebound, putback. Like, he is, it is every single game for this guy. He's just down low, busting butt in the paint. And I'm really worried about Syracuse when it comes to stopping Moses Wright. Because it's not exactly the fact that he's, he's not seven feet. He's 6'9". Right? It, it's a he's a Quincy Garrier type of player, similar build, but the activity level is what really worries me because this guy he is going to outwork Syracuse down low if they don't put a body on him. Unfortunately, that's something I could really see happening. Syracuse just forgets about Moses Wright if the guards kick or if if they penetrate and kick it out. That'd be a bad look for Syracuse, though. You do say that because Georgia Tech is dead last in rebounding offense, if you can believe it. It's just the level of activity that I see from Moses Wright is better than any Syracuse player. And Georgia Tech offensively, very skilled, 28th in Ken Palm, scoring 113.5 points per 100 possessions. And not bad defensively, 64th, uh, giving up about 96.6. So, however you spill it, it's a solid team. And I will add here as well, both the Duke and Georgia Tech games on the road will count as quad one wins if Syracuse can win them. Absolutely huge wins to pick up. We keep saying that every game is the biggest, it's the biggest, it's the biggest over and over and over again, but that's really what it comes down to. Syracuse is fighting for its life on the bubble. I mean, this was last year, this was the year before. Literally the same thing as last year. They go on this win streak towards the end of the season, you know, just to give us, give us, uh, you know, raise our heart rates here towards the end. Let's hope that we don't have the typical end to the season where, at least like like we saw last year, where it all falls apart against UNC and Miami. I'll give you guys two more names really quickly. Michael DeVoe is Alvarado's partner in crime. 15 points a game, lefty, really sweet stroke. Loves to work ISO either on the wing or up top. Pick and roll with right too. Then Jordan Usher's the fourth guy. And Usher, remember how I said Wendell Moore earlier was the guy where if you give it to him on Duke and he starts making mistakes, you you know you got him. It's the same sort of thing with Usher. He's younger. He's not exactly as experienced as Alvarado and DeVoe. Once he gets the ball and starts, you know, doing stuff, jacking shots making errant passes, he's pretty much out of the game. Like, he's not going to shoot himself back in. I said he was younger. That's not really true, but he's younger in terms of Georgia Tech. It's only his second year with the Yellow Jackets. He started off at USC, didn't play that much there. That's why he chose to transfer. But, like, Usher is that guy. If you get him stuck in a rut, if you turn him over, if he misses a couple shots, you can just absolutely forget about him. So that's, I guess... Key, a key uh, a point I guess a pinpoint on the game plan but it's not the key point the key point is stop right inside and do not let Alvarado or DeVoe get cooking because if one of those dudes starts hitting shots 
it's going to be a long night. You may not have a choice the way those guys score, but I'll also add Georgia Tech doesn't really make a lot of mistakes, and they will capitalize off your mistakes. They're first in the ACC in turnover margin. Syracuse actually second, so a little battle of one versus two there, and we'll see how that goes. But as far as predictions go, FPI has Georgia Tech 52% uh, here, probably just because they're the home team. That's kind of how it's going this year. Uh, no point spread available right now, but Ian, what would you set the point spread at for this game, and what is your prediction looking like here on uh, this fine Sunday night? It's going to be really interesting depending on how Syracuse plays against Duke that is I would say the biggest that's going to be the barometer game for the next couple of days going forward Ken Palm has Syracuse losing 75-72 wow. yeah it's two really close losses for the Orange from Ken Pomeroy but once again I think it's accurate however however I think Syracuse wins in McCamish Pavilion. Remember last year? It was early December, I want to say. Syracuse went down to Atlanta and absolutely... 97-62. Not... That was the score? Oh my gosh, I thought it was closer than that. They ran them off the floor. I remember sitting in Bird Library watching that game like, what in the world is going on? This is not the Syracuse team I was, I'm used to seeing. Dude, it's just like the BC game this year, right? Yeah, it's, it's sim similar, very similar flows to the season. But I think whatever confidence they have from last year, at least they have that experience in winning up inside the opposing building. I think that has a lot of merit. And also, Josh Pastor's squad's just been inconsistent. Like every single team in the ACC this year, they have to play Virginia Tech before this. That's not an easy matchup. So if they win against Virginia Tech, I could see sort of a letdown coming on. And even if they lose against Virginia Tech, I could still see a letdown coming on at home. I think Syracuse splits at the end of this week. I think they go down to Atlanta and win. I think it's 75-72, but in favor of the Orange. I think you can live with the split. Syracuse sits at 46th in the net rankings at this moment. 0-4 in quad one games, 2-5 and on the road. And like I said before, two opportunities at that, shall we say, elusive quad one win. Like I said, you're going to start with Duke and then Georgia Tech. I think Georgia Tech is the more winnable of the two. I think yeah. we can agree Yeah, I'm with you that. there. Um, and I think Syracuse does win this game as well. I think it'll be a. I think the Orange, after dropping that Duke game, they come out with a fire in their belly, and I think they win this game by seven points. It's going to really hurt Syracuse if they lose to Duke, though, yeah. because that North Carolina game is is the season. It's the season. Right. So I I would not want to get into that precarious position if I'm Jim Beheim and company, because unlike most of these teams in the ACC, North Carolina is specifically built to attack Syracuse's one weakness. So let's let's avoid that at all possible costs. Let's not make that, you know, the do-or-die game, although even if Syracuse wins these two games, it might be. But if we're Syracuse, let's go into this Duke game strong. Let's come out with two quad one wins, and let's show Joe Lenardi that it's tourney time. It could be a very big week or it could be a very bad week. But however you spill it, if you're Syracuse, you want to be a tournament team, you got to win these two games. It starts tomorrow night against Duke on the road in a battle of fifth-place teams in the ACC. And, well, you could spill it, 
This is a play-in game for the tournament because both of these teams are on the bubble. If you're Syracuse, you want to get in, you got to win this game, and then you, you go on the road to play Georgia Tech in another quad one game against a respectable opponent, but a winnable game. If you're the Orange, you cannot go 0-2 this week. Ian and I think they're going to split 1-1, one and one. and then like we said, they're going to wrap things up with North Carolina next week unless there is a rescheduled game. But that's going to do it for this week's FizzCast. We hope you guys enjoyed. Make sure to check us out at orangefizz.net. Follow us at orangefizz on Twitter. And for Ian Unsworth, I've been John Eads. As always, go Orange.